Welcome to About Faith with Alec Klein. I'm honored to be your host of this weekly half-hour program airing on HLE Radio every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central and replayed Sundays at 5 p.m. Central. We'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life sharing with us their journey to faith. Today, we're with Dixie Pebworth, but we can call him Pastor Dixie. Once upon a time, we might have actually called him something else. A child raised by the streets, a drug addict, and a dealer who was sentenced to 80 years in prison, which, by the way, would have placed him behind bars right now. But here he is, moving mountains, if I might say. It's an incredible story. Please, Pastor Dixie, tell us all about it from the beginning. Well, thank you, Alec. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's a blessing to see what God's done. You know, I was born in 1963 on October the 19th. And three days later, my mother, who birthed me, put me up for adoption. I was adopted into a family. I was the youngest of six kids. Uh, I thank God that abortion wasn't popular back then, or else I would have probably been aborted. But this family adopted me to give me a chance at life. And by the age of four, my adopted mother had had a car wreck and broke her neck. And in that, she became a drug addict from then on, clear up until she passed away in 09, uh on prescription medication and really took that mother's heart out of my life. By the age of 10, I was kind of following my older brothers and I started smoking marijuana at the age of 10 and I started drinking at the age of 12. And then by the age of 14, I was in trouble with the law. I uh, had seven felonies against me for burglary and stealing cars. And, you know, I was basically breaking the law to support my drug habit. By the age of 16, I dropped out of high school. And by the age of 18, I was in trouble with the law again. And this was the first time ever as an adult I was in trouble with the law. And so I expected to get probation. And instead of getting probation, they sentenced me to two years in prison. I went to prison, and, and all I did was change professions at that time because prison is a school of crime, and you can learn how to do crime while you're in prison. And So I went in a burglar and a, a thief, and I came out a drug dealer. I uh, found out while I was in prison I could sell drugs to support my drug habit. So as I came out of prison, I started selling drugs. I met my new wife. Uh, her and I got together, and uh, we, we, she got pregnant with my first son. Uh, at the time, she was 15 years old and I was 20 years old. And, uh, you know, today's society, they would have locked me up in prison for that. And But in that, my wife and I had our first child, but I was dealing drugs. And there's times that my drug habit began to increase. And my front door was like a Walmart center, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People was coming in and out buying drugs. And this whole time, my heart was hardening and getting harder and against people. Money had became my God. Drugs had became my God. I began to be angry and bitter. I began to have a, uh, a an image of being tough and being mean. And, you know, there was times that the drugs began to make me into a person that I really wasn't. Uh, I had to enforce uh, people to, you know, get, pay me money that they owe me for their drugs and things. And I remember one time that uh, I had actually kicked in a guy's door about three o'clock in the morning with a pistol grip shotgun and I caught him coming out of his bedroom in the hallway of his house. And, uh, he hit the floor and started screaming at me, don't shoot, don't shoot. And 
I remember looking around during that time and all the lights in the house had all of a sudden came on. And I looked up in one bedroom and there sat his three sons at the end of a bed, you know, looking at this man with a, uh, a gun on their daddy's head. And then I looked over into the other bedroom and, and there sat his wife and his four-year-old daughter that was sitting there just crying because their daddy was laying on the ground and somebody had a gun to their head. And I remember that image uh, after I got uh, saved and born again, that God put that in my image of the person that I had become. Uh, I was mean. I was angry. I was well, bitter. I was Pastor, Pastor Dixie, if I could just stop you right there for a second. That's an incredible story in itself. What were you thinking in that moment when you saw the family all staring at you as you had the the gun pointed at this man's head. What were you thinking? Well, I was thinking of killing the guy at the time. I mean, <laughs> until I saw those images, uh, I was really out to kill him. I was out to, I was very angry at him. He owed me a lot of money. He had been avoiding me for a long time and running from me. And I went in there really to do him harm at that time. Well, how, how close were you to actually killing him? Well, uh, my finger was on the trigger, and I was about to pull it. Uh, wow. I mean, he was, he was on the ground screaming and hollering, and my, you know, I had a pistol grip shotgun that was right at his head. Well, what's, what stopped you from doing it? I, you know, I truly don't know to, to be specific, but I will say those images that I saw with his daughter and his wife uh, really had a big uh, impact on me. Uh, yeah. I do believe that that's probably what stopped me from shooting him. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I I never thought I was a murderer, but at the same time, I, I had hurt a lot of people. And so in that, I think it was at that point in time and that image that God really intervened at that moment to give me that image to stop me. Well, let me ask you this other question. You were kind of going through your story and it's almost shocking to hear about how from a very early age, you know, you were getting involved in drugs and all sorts of trouble with the law. I mean, you know, to what extent was this just the way it was for you growing up? And, you know, this was the life you lived based on the experience you'd had up to that point. Yeah. Well, Alex, I never, I never had no moral training, no values uh, training. My, my, my dad uh, worked two jobs to support six kids and was never really at home except for discipline purposes. He, he would always correct me, but he never showed me love. And any time you have discipline without love, it creates rebellion and creates anger. Uh, the only connection I had to God growing up was a Pentecostal grandmother uh, who just loved Jesus. But when she would talk about Jesus, Grandpa would roll his eyes, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so I just always remember her worshiping God and doing dishes and fixing meals. And, but she was always happy. And that yeah. was the only connection I had with God back then. And, you know, I, I grew up basically on the streets. I was running around with other neighborhood kids. You know, that back in that day, it was before gangs really started happening. But yet we had a small gang in the neighborhood that I grew up in there in southeast Oklahoma City. And it was a poverty area. It was very poor. We never really had any money. Uh, and so I really never learned what to do in life. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I went to school, but I never liked school. I always ran yeah. from school. 
And then by the age of ni- uh, ninth grade, I dropped out. And it was really strange, though, Alec, because my first semester in ninth grade, I made a, like a 3.85 grade point average because yeah. I was playing football. And I, I loved the thought of playing football. I wanted to be a professional football player. But yeah. then the second semester of my ninth grade, I made a 0.00 uh, because <laughs> I just stopped going, okay? And so that's that's kind of the, the way my life went in that direction. Pastor Dixie, l- l- let's uh, pick up the story, though, where you left off, if you might, which is, so here you were trying to get your money back. Uh, that was owed to you. You had the gun to this man's head. You see the family. They're staring at you. Now, how do you get yourself out of that situation? What did you do? Well, I just threatened him and told him he needed to have my money by the next day at 5 o'clock. And if he didn't, I was going to come back and kill him. And needless to say, he had my money by the next day at 5 (laughs) o'clock. And so I didn't have to go back and kill him. And, you know, what was really sad, Alec, was the person I had become. It was really not the person that I wanted to be but it was the person I had to be on the streets. Uh, I was angry. I was bitter. I was adopted. See, my my root of rejection started at birth. Uh, I had a detachment disorder. I never really attached to people. And uh, in the drug world, I I got robbed one time, so I started carrying a gun everywhere I went. Uh, I started beating up people. I started, you know, taking advantage of people. I, I did a lot of wrong things during that time. Uh, and it's not something I'm very proud of. Uh, my wife got pregnant again on my second son. And uh, as I continue on in my story here, uh, I want to come up to like March the 5th, 1987, because it was a turning point in my life. Uh, I had just got done selling some drugs. I had like eight people in my house. It was about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And uh, I, I had sold out of drugs, so I needed to go score some more. I had to go pick up some more, actually. And I had just left my house. Uh, I went down to the corner store. There used to be a Circle K on the corner uh, of, the, of the end of the block that I lived on. I went in. I got a six-pack of beer and two packs of cigarettes and came walking out. And as I walked out of the store, I heard a car squalling around the corner. I looked up, and it was a black and white. And behind it, it was another black and white. Behind it, it was a Suburban, a van another uh, cop car in Oklahoma City, that was the color of the police cars, was black and white. Yeah. And uh, I walked over to a payphone. I put a quarter in, my, in the phone and I called my house because that was before cell phones was popular. Right. And I had a guy by the name of George that would answer my door and answer my phone because had I been in the house at the time, I would have been in the back bedroom selling drugs. Uh, that's where my scales were. That's where my guns were. That's where I sit while I was selling. And so George answered the phone. I said, George, I don't want to scare you, but I want you to look outside and tell me where those 10 cop cars just went and came flying around the corner. And he said, okay, and he lays the phone down. And as I'm standing there listening, about the time I heard the, the door kick open and I heard the cops screaming, I heard the guns clicking, but then I heard my wife scream who was in that house. Yeah. And then I heard my oldest son who was about two and a half years old at the time. I heard him scream. And then my mind, Alec, went back to my seven-day-old son that had just been brought home from the hospital. And all my hopes and all my dreams was in that house. Everything I wanted was in that house. I loved my family, but the problem I had, Alec, is I didn't know how to be a father, and I didn't know how to be a husband. And I was actually running from those two things into my drug addiction because I didn't know how to be those people. 
Yeah. And so to this day, you know, I thank God that I had that praying grandmother in my life because I believe it was because of her prayers that I wasn't in that house during that time. I had really? just left approximately about three minutes before the police kicked in the door. Uh, they swore I was in the house, but I wasn't there. And yeah. I was actually on the phone listening to everything. Well, what happened? Well, I listened to a phone call for about 20 minutes. And I thank God to this day I didn't hear no gunshots. And uh, finally I just hung up the phone and I went to a motel. And about three hours later I called my house and my wife answered the phone. And she said they didn't take anyone to jail. They just they they just wanted me to turn myself in the next day. And mm -hmm. so I went to turn myself in the next day, and the first thing they wanted me to do was to set up five controlled buys, and they would leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't do that. Uh, they wound up throwing me in, in jail and filed charges against me at that time. And it took about two weeks for my wife to get me out on bond. And... Uh, in that, you would think that I would have quit doing drugs and quit selling because by this time, I had accumulated about a $500 a day cocaine habit. Oh, wow. Mixed with methamphetamine. And, you know, from the time I would wake up until the time I went to bed, I was doing nothing but getting high and seeking after drugs and dealing in guns and drugs and madness and chaos. And so that was the life that I had become. The reason why I mentioned about my praying grandmother is because in 1986 at Christmas time, my mom and dad went to see my grandmother. And whenever my mom and dad came back to Oklahoma City uh, from seeing my grandmother, my mom had called me. And she said, I don't know what you're doing, but I promised your grandmother that I would call you and let you know that she's praying for you. Uh, and so in that, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, my grandma's praying for me. Why is grandma praying for me? Grandma don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, needless to say, Grandma knew a lot more than what I did. Oh, really? And I believe that it was because of those prayers of my grandmother that I wasn't in that house. Because I would have came out of that back bedroom with a gun in my hand thinking I was being robbed again. And I would have probably got shot. Uh, wow. And I thank God for his intervention and his mercy and his love for me back then. And that was before I got saved. Uh, needless to say, I, I uh, thought I could beat the charges uh, because none of the uh, the house wasn't in my name, none of the bills was in my name. They couldn't link anything to me in that house except my wife and my kids, and my wife couldn't really testify against me in a court of law. Right. That's what I was thinking. And so I decided I was going to take it to jury trial. There was eight other people in that house, but they didn't arrest anybody. They just arrested me. Right. So I went to jury trial on October the 7th, 1987, which was approximately 33 years ago. And in, in that, it was a one-day trial, and the jury went out for verdict, and they came back, and they had found me guilty of three of the four charges. What were they? They found me guilty of possession of cocaine uh, and recommended a 30-year sentence. They found me not guilty of an illegal shotgun. What it was, I had a pistol grip shotgun, but I had taken the firing pin out because it was sticking. And so they tried to charge me with that, but they couldn't because there was no firing pin in the gun. Yeah. That was count two. Count three, they found me guilty of possession of a weapon while in commission of committing a felony because whenever they searched my house, they found drugs and they found guns, but I wasn't there. But they charged me with possession of a weapon 
while in commission of committing a felony, which is a violent crime, and they recommended a 40-year sentence. And then they found me guilty of count four, which was possession of a firearm after former conviction of a felony, which recommended, and they recommended 10 years. And they locked me up in the Oklahoma County Jail. And that was October the 7th, 1987. And uh, for the next five days, Alec, I laid on the floor contemplating suicide. I was withdrawing from losing my freedom. I was withdrawing from my drug addiction. I was had voices in my head telling me I'd never be a husband to my wife again. I'd never be a father to my children. And I would never be free again uh, because I was facing the 80-year sentence. And, uh, I mean, it was for five days, it was in deep, deep, gross darkness. I mean, I was ready to kill myself. I was ready to just check out of this world and move on to the next one. And uh, on October the 12th, 1987, the door popped open in the county jail because I was in a pod with about 40 other guys. Wow. And the door popped open. Normally the door didn't open after 5 o'clock on a daily basis. But it was about 7 o'clock on October the 12th, and uh, the door popped open. I sat up on my mattress because I was sleeping on the floor with the rats and the cockroaches. I was, I was at the lowest point in my life, Alec. There's yeah. no way to explain it. I had nothing to offer God but brokenness. I was destroyed. I was distraught. My mind was a mess. My heart was a mess. My life was a total mess. Pastor Dixie, let me, let me ask you a question right there. I mean, did you even believe in God at that moment? You know, I can't say I did, Allie. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how to express. God was not in my mind at that time. God was yeah. nowhere in my heart at that time. For those five days, uh, it was a deep, deep, gross darkness. I, I don't know how to explain it except that. Yeah. Uh, and God wasn't nowhere around at that moment. Uh, but then on that night, about 7 o'clock, the door popped open, and here comes this Baptist preacher yelling as he comes through the door. And the first words <laughs> out of his mouth, I come here to tell you God loves you. <laughs> and I set up on my mattress to see what was going on, and as I heard those words, my, my thoughts were, if God loves me, why am I here? Okay. Mm. And uh, I get a little emotional because it's still real to me, even 33 yeah. years later. I, uh, and I listened to what the man had to say. And he didn't condemn me. He didn't attack me. He didn't threaten me with going to hell or anything like that. He talked about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Yeah. And he preached about the prodigal son. He preached about the lost sheep and the shepherd coming and finding the lost sheep. And uh, that night I went forward and I gave my life to Christ with tears just screaming down my eyes. I didn't understand everything. I didn't know what was going on, really, except that I know that I needed this God who loved me to come into my life. And so I went forward that night, and I gave my life to Christ. And well, Pastor Dixie, could I, Pastor Dixie, if I could stop you right there, how do you explain that moment of conversion? It sounds like it, it happened uh, quickly and dramatically for you after the life you had led, and then suddenly like a thunderbolt. How, how do you explain that? Well, you know, Alec, there's really, words cannot express uh, the the way that it felt and what it was. I was broken, distraught, empty, and dark. 
and I didn't understand anything. Uh, and in that, uh, I, as I went forward, I just, you know, as he led me to the Lord, I had a peace that came over me. I had, I don't know what it was. It was like the darkness began to leave me. And uh, that night as I slept, that was probably the first night I slept in five days. Wow. And then the next day he brought me a Bible and he brought me a Bible studies. And I started opening up the Bible and I started reading the Bible. And every time I would, I would open up the Bible. It wasn't based on religion. It was based on love. It was based on God's love reaching out to me. And so as I would read the Bible, I would spend about 8, 10, to 12 hours a day in it. And as I would read it, I would just weep and cry because of the love that I felt from a living God. Uh, and what was strange, Alec, was everything I had searched for in drugs, everything I'd searched for in alcohol, everything I'd searched for in the world, I found in that county jail cell in 1987 with, through the Spirit of, the, of God, giving me peace, filling me with love, changing my inner being. What really got me was as I would read the Bible, you know, the, it was like the Spirit of God would remind me of all the wrongs that I had done. And I would just sit there and weep and ask God to forgive me. And it felt like demons were leaving my body because I truly believe, Alec, I was demon-possessed. And it was like darkness was leaving my body, leaving my mind. I could see again. I could hear again. I could feel again. Uh, but yet I'm still facing this 80-year sentence. And on December the 2nd, 1987, I, I woke up real early, and I just knew God was going to do a miracle in my life. And uh, my court hearing was at 9 o'clock. I got dressed. I started reading the Bible that morning, and God took me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. He said, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought in itself, but today is the evil that present. And so when I went to court, they took me off the elevator. And as I w went into the courtroom, my, my family was there. My wife was there. My youngest son was there. My mom, my mother-in-law, my brother. There was about uh, eight of my family members there in the courtroom, but they wouldn't let me talk to anyone. They immediately took me up in front of the judge. The judge asked the DA what he recommended the DA says, we just want the 80 years, what the, what the people recommended. And then the judge asked my lawyer if he had anything to say, and my lawyer said a few things, but I really didn't give it any value. And then the judge asked me if I had anything to say, and I had a lot to say, Alec, yeah. that I, didn't, I couldn't say anything. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me speak. Uh, mm. I was guilty, but I was guilty of sin more than anything. Yeah. And uh, in that, the judge began to sentence me. He sentenced me to 30 years. In the Department of Corrections, he sentenced me to 40 years. In the Department of Corrections, he sentenced me to 10 years. In the Department of Corrections, and he said, I run it consecutive. And he said, I sentenced you to 80 years in prison. And he hit the gavel, and needless to say, my knees buckled. Uh, tears shot down my face. Had you been in the courtroom with my family, you would have thought that they was at my funeral. Mm. And the truth was, is that they were, because truly that day is a day that Dixie died and Christ came alive because I couldn't handle it on my own. Yeah. Uh, it was just overwhelming to me. They immediately, took, they immediately took me out of the courtroom and took me back up into my cell. They wouldn't let me embrace my family or say anything to my family. Uh, it was really a, a very uh, dark time. 
uh, I was numb. My first thoughts was whenever he sends me in 80 years is where's God? You yeah. know, because I really, I would, I've been reading about this God of miracles, Alec, the God that opens blind eyes and unstops their fears and heals the lame and the sick and feeds the multitudes with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he cast yeah. out demons and he even raised the dead. Where is this God who splits the Red Sea? You know, who, where yeah. is this God that, you know, was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Where is yeah. this God? And I was just numb. And I sat down on my mattress, or on my bunk whenever I got back to my cell because I'd moved up from the floor into a bunk by this time. <laughs> and I was just numb. And these guys kept on asking me, said, what happened? I said, I got 80 years. And you could hear a hush go across the room. And everyone kept asking me the same question, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What can I do? <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I got 80 years. There's nothing I can do at this point in time because it's dead and gone now. Uh, yeah. And it was really sad to a point, Alec, is because society just wanted to lock me up and throw away the key. Yeah. With no yeah. hope, with no mercy, with no grace, with nothing. I cried and I let out, uh, Alec. I was, I mean, I wept. And But there was three things I prayed for. And I remember just like yesterday, the first thing I prayed for was a contact visit with my wife before I went to prison. Hmm. I just wanted to hold her in my arms and ask her to forgive me for the, for destroying our family and destroying our lives. Uh, and that's all I wanted to do. She was 19 years old. She had two boys to raise by herself, and I had destroyed our entire lives. Hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to hold her before I went to prison. The second thing I prayed for was for my wife and I to be reconciled and be put back together and made better than what it ever was before. And the third thing I prayed for that day was my freedom. And after I was done praying, I remember saying amen. And, you know, I stood up. I was wiping all my tears. And they took me back to my cell. And as I stepped through the door of my cell, I had a peace that came over me. I don't know how to explain it. It was a peace that passed all understanding. It was a peace that said, I, knowing that I know that God heard me. Please tell us, how did this all get resolved? <laughs> well, needless <laughs> to say, uh, I did do six years, three months, and 17 days in prison. Uh, it, it's kind of a long story, Alec, but you know, at the yeah. same time, I two and a half years on the 30-year sentence, my name appeared on the parole docket, don't even know how. They paroled me from a 30-year sentence to the 40-year sentence. In June of 1993, the Court of Criminal Appeals ruled on my case, and they dismissed and vacated my 40-year sentence. Wow. And in that, that meant the time I served in the 40 rolled over into the 10, and yeah. within three and a half months, I would discharge the 10-year sentence. I tell people all the time that God loved me so much, he rewrote the law in the state <laughs> of Oklahoma to set me free. And that's wow. really so, what he did. It's still in the law books today. Tell us, again, since we're almost out of time here, where did that lead you today? Well, you know, Alec, uh, while I was in prison, I went through, I got my GED. I went through business college. I went through Bible school. Uh, whenever I got out of prison, I was determined I didn't want to go back. Today, I'm a, I'm a, a founder and a pastor of a, a church that we started in 2003, and we averaged about 500 people. We wanted to reach the least of these. And so that's what we do. We, we help drug addicts, alcoholics, people coming out of prison, homeless people, 
really the, the motto of our mission is Luke 4.18, uh, where it talks about preaching the gospel to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, setting the captives free, opening blind eyes, and setting at liberty those that are bruised. That's our mission. We also have a housing program, Alec, that we help people restore their lives. Uh, it's, it's called a sober community. Yeah. And we help men and we help women. We help men with children, women with children, and couples and couples with children to restore their lives back into society. It's a hand up. It's not a hand out. Uh, it's to help someone change their lives. There's so many people out there that want off of drugs, but the drug treatment places are full and they don't know where to go. And so we're going to create this sober center to where people can come and get healed. These people can come and get delivered and people can come and restore their lives back into back with God in their life. And so I'm excited about what God's done with us and what he's doing and what he's going to do. Well, Pastor Dixie, I got to tell you, I mean, this is such an, an amazing story. I mean, I have to admit, I was getting emotional just listening to you tell this incredible story. And it's amazing and beautiful how you've, you know, turned your life around and what you've done to help so many other people. It's a, it's an inspiration. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. It's, uh, it's really amazing. So thank you, Pastor Dixie. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for listening to About Faith with Alec Klein. Please stay tuned for our next episode airing on HLE Radio every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central and replayed Sundays at 5 p.m. Central. We'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life sharing with us their journey to faith. I'd love to hear from listeners. Please reach out to me through my website, alecklein.net. That's A-L-E-C-K-L-E-I-N dot net. Until next time, have a great week.